You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America, Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience here on the Westwood One Podcast Network. This is Daniel Horowitz, your one-stop shop for independent conservative news and views. And I stress independent, doing the job that your Republican so-called conservative commentators will not do. And there are many of those jobs they will not do. And what a better day to illustrate that than today. But it is September 17th, Monday. And you know what that is. Actually, if you know what it is, but you guys in the audience know exactly what it is. It is Constitution Day. It is the 231st anniversary of the signing of our Constitution. Not the ratification, but at least the signing of that document um, on September 17th, 1787. In Independence Hall in Philadelphia, it's uh, just truly monumental when you think think about what happened, and especially viewing it in the context of Friday's show, which I know depressed many of you. But I'm sorry, <laughs> you know, um, I know it's news to many of you that Republicans are going to get crushed in the election. But I don't think it's such an enigma if you understand what's going on that. It's kind of akin to someone holding the ball in football and you get blitzed and rushed. Well, you know, you don't have to get sacked and lose the ball and result in points being scored for the other team. You could throw the ball, you could make good running plays and make them go to where the ball is. You choose where the point of contact is going to be rather than they choose it. But we choose the latter. We sit there and don't hold the hold the ball, so we suffer the blitz but we don't utilize control. So it's not hard to understand what's going on in this election. And uh, certainly with the latest news going on, you know, I wanted to talk a lot about Constitution Day today, but, <laughs> oh my gosh, it's like you can never get away from the soap opera. Now, obviously here, because the soap opera pertains to the Supreme Court nominee and our body politic makes that the most important decision of Congress, so we do have to talk about it, but... We're going to talk about it from a standpoint that you're not going to hear elsewhere. And we're going to talk about it before we get to other news because I don't want to exclusively focus on this because I know a lot of you will you know, tune in precisely because you want to hear different things than, than you're hearing elsewhere. But I do want – you know, and also just simply because not everything that's on Twitter needs to be discussed. Not everything needs to have an opinion on Um. And there's things that you just don't know in life. I mean, relative to other people in this business, I guess I'm more of an expert on the court system, the history behind it, um, constitution, legal cases. That doesn't make me an expert on sexual allegations. <laughs> so I, you know, I don't. At this point, it's very fluid. I don't really know what to say. It's for sure political. There's no question about that. But whether it's also true at the same time, I mean, you know. I, I, I can't say at this point. But, you know, I just first want to dwell a moment on the Constitution. 
because that's really what we need right now. We need a constitutional convention style meeting of the minds. See, why I think this day is so important and why I think everyone should know of this day, this should be on par with July 4th in my view. July 4th, you break away from, you know, you break away from England. Now, obviously, the document we celebrate was written by Jefferson and Adams and others, but that's kind of the holiday of Sam Adams, the revolutionaries. And that was hard to do. That was revolutionary for its time. But what's even harder is to plot an affirmative path forward. What is it we want to be? We break away from England. What is it we want to be? It was nothing short of a miracle that they were able to forge an agreement there in Independence Hall. It really was. Um, Just the fact that you had states that were essentially different countries, were never together before other than sharing a continent, And really, just in a matter of a few months, they came out with, as Benjamin Franklin allegedly told a woman, there's different versions of the story, a republic if you can keep it. Now, certainly to anyone who listens to this show, you know, we did not keep it. The question is, what do we do about that now? Now, I I was planning on writing a new Constitution Day post. I know I posted the same one the last two years. But I just didn't get around to it, so I am going to link to in show notes my Constitution Day article originally posted, I guess, in 2016. And you'll obviously see I make the case for a new party and a new movement because factions are a problem, but once you're going to have them, it's better to have more of them, as Madison said. And that was kind of the premise behind the system he was creating. So you'll take a look at that, and you'll just see you know, it'll become self-evident how every single principle underpinning the core elements of the Constitution has been violated, turned upside down, inside out now. You know, what, what the federal government should control to prevent external threats, they don't deal with. What's an internal order that should be left to the states, they do deal with. What's a fundamental right, they don't protect. What isn't a fundamental right, they enshrine into the Constitution. You know, looking lo- looking just broadly what happened on that day, you know, up until the very last minutes of the convention, it really wasn't a foregone conclusion they were going to do this. Um, you know, even though they got over most of the hurdles in, in July and August, but even into September, I mean – just to illustrate how hard it was, you look at the very last day of the convention. It was, um, it was. By the way, it was a Monday. It fell out the same, you know, same way it did this year. And Edmund Randolph, of all people, from Virginia, he was the guy who originally was Madison's henchman and introduced the Virginia Plan, which at the time, you know, we focus on the. You know the different plans, Virginia, New Jersey, of how we're going to have a constitutional government, a federal national government. But 
that was built on a, pre- a premise that they were going to get rid of the Articles of Confederation. And that was by no means a foregone conclusion. In fact, most delegates met under the assumption that they were just going to revise the existing structure. And they were like, wait a minute, wh- what are you doing here? So Randolph was the original guy who did it. And then a couple months later, he rose to speak minutes before the closing of the convention, even after Benjamin Franklin's moving words and said, look, you know, I can't sign on to this. He was concerned. That a number of things, among them was the power of the federal courts, by the way, um, that he was concerned where that would head, as we spoke about last week. And, you know, um, at George Washington's urging, they did adopt some of his critiques. Some of them they did adopt there. He be- Washington badly wanted to forge a deal. The main point is they understood that they were in a crisis mode, that what they were doing wasn't working and they needed to change something. This is where we're at 231 years later. We need to recognize that what we're doing is not working. And what I'm talking about is not just among conservatives. I would love to sit down and for you liberals in the audience, you could call me any names you want. But I think if you're listening, you understand that – Maybe I'm not as intellectually honest as you think I should be or want me to be, whether you're right or wrong about that. But you certainly know I am more intellectually honest than others. I'm an independent conservative. I'm not a Republican conservative. I think both parties are destroying this country. So I would love to find a counterpart on the other side to have such a meeting with, have a group of people get in a room and say, look, we're both digging holes in the same boat and we're out in the sea. It's going to hurt. We're we're all going to sink. So let's just recognize that it's mutually beneficial to work together and try to forge for, 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 forge some sort of path to break this impasse between the this just a, this, this two party structure that's just killing us. And as I've always said, the, the contours of that solution really, if anyone is honest, whether you're left or right, it really needs to revolve around some sort of localism, some sort of two-state solution, not necessarily a formal divorce, but really you know, giving more autonomy to the states officially. I would argue the blue states are already doing that. We need red states that will do the same. So that way, at least we can get out our differences and self-sword, but maybe still be united by the same flag and military. And I, I, I'm pretty confident that If on all the domestic issues, you're able to kind of live in California, do what you want, I can live in my place and do what I want, when it comes to things like North Korea and terrorism, you would hope that you know now they've uh, they've all become political, but it would become at least less political, and we'd be able to work that out more. But that was the genius of what happened at that convention. That was the true miracle. True miracle. So... You know, it was on that day that Dr. Franklin rose, and he said, I'm just going to read this speech. I confess that there are several parts of this Constitution which I do not at present approve, but I am not sure I, I shall never approve them. For having lived long, I have experienced many instances of being obliged by better information or fuller consideration to change opinions even on important subjects which I once thought right, but found to be otherwise. It is therefore that, 
the older I grow, the more apt I am to doubt my own judgment and to pay more respect to the judgment of others. Most men indeed, as well as most sects in religion, think themselves in possession of all truth and that whatever others differ from them, it is so far error. Still, a Protestant in a dedication tells the Pope that the only difference between our churches is their opinions of the certainty of their doctrine is the Church of Rome is infallible and the Church of England is never in the wrong. But though many private persons think almost as highly of their own infallibility as of that of their sect, few express it so naturally as a certain French lady who in a dispute with her sister said, quote, I don't know how it happened, sister, but I meet with nobody but myself that is always in the right. In these sentiments, sir, I agree to this Constitution with all its faults, if they are such, because I think a general government necessary for us, and there is no form of government, but what may be a blessing to the people if well-administered, and believe further that this is likely to be well-administered for a course of years, and can only end in despotism as other forms have done before it, when the people shall become so corrupted as to need despotic government being incapable of any other. I doubt, too, whether any other convention we can obtain may be able to make a better constitution. For when you assemble a number of men to have the advantage of their joint wisdom, you inevitably assemble with those men all their prejudices, their passions, their errors of opinion, their local interests, and their selfish views. From such an assembly can a perfect production be expected? It therefore astonishes me, sir, to find the system approaching so near to perfection as it does. And I think it will astonish our enemies who are waiting with confidence to hear that our councils are confounded like those of the builders of Babel and that our states are on the point of separation only to meet hereafter for the purpose of cutting one another's throats. Thus I consent, sir, to this constitution because I expect no better and because I am not sure that it is not the best. The opinions I have had of its errors I sacrifice to the public good. I have never whispered a syllable of them abroad. Within these walls they were born, and here they shall die. If every one of us, in returning to our constituents, were to report the objections he has had to it and endeavor to gain partisans in support of them, we might prevent its being generally received and therefore, and thereby lose all the salutary effects and great advantages resulting naturally in our favor among foreign nations as well as among ourselves from our real or apparent unanimity. Much of the strength and efficacy of any government in procuring and securing happiness to the people depends on opinion, on the general opinion of the goodness of the government as well as of the wisdom and integrity of its governors. I hope, therefore, that for our own sakes, as part of the people, and for the sake of posterity, we shall act heartily and unanimously in recommending this Constitution, wherever our influence may extend, and turn our future thoughts, future thoughts and endeavors to the means of having it well administered. On the whole, sir, I cannot help expressing a wish that every member of the convention who may still have objections to it would with me on this occasion doubt a little of his own infallibility and to make manifest our unanimity put in his name to this instrument. That's his speech. He then moved that the Constitution be signed by the members. Um, and they went ahead and you know a couple more people spoke and they, they went and signed it. And then literally, as they were closing up shop, um, it, was, it was read by, I guess, the secretary, who was Jackson. And then after they closed up shop, you got all the names signing it. Um, 
everyone except for Randolph Mason, who was concerned about the Bill of Rights, obviously, and Eld- Eldridge Gary, um, declined to, to sign it. And then my understanding is, I could be wrong about this, but I think Franklin again had the very last um, statement. He looked towards the president's chair, right? This is uh, George Washington, at the back of which a rising sun happened to be painted. Right? There was a little emblem there. If you go to Independence Hall today, you'll, you'll see that. He observed to a few members near him that painters had found it difficult to distinguish in their art arising from a setting sun. I have said he often and often in the course of the session and the vicissitudes of my hope and fears as to its issue looked at, the, at that behind the president without being able to tell whether it was rising or setting. But now at length I have the happiness to know that it is a rising and not a setting sun. And look, you know, we all know Benjamin Franklin was kind of a character in himself, and he had his own, uh, you know, issues like every human being does. But to me, that really captures the essence of Constitution Day. Um, that speech was just beautifully delivered, especially because, you know, Franklin did cast a number of votes against a lot of the provisions. Um, he was from a bigger state and, you know, had the objections to giving smaller states as much power as they did. <clears throat> you know, this is what we're incapable of doing now because our values have grown so far apart. It's not just local interests. It's values. One one side wants to embrace Hamas and MS-13 but ban straws. I don't know what you do with that. I think they're deboshed, but I guess they think the same about me. So that's why I feel the only true way to deal with this is to actually – I'm not suggesting a new constitution. I'm suggesting if you really follow the constitution and would return most of these programs to the states, which they should have never gone to the federal government in the first place, I think we'll be able to have that mindset of Benjamin Franklin. As much as I detest what California is doing, if I knew I had a state to move to where I wasn't constantly inundated <clears throat> with illegals, with the homosexual agenda, with abortion, with gun grabbing, with socialism, with PC nonsense, and they could do it in their place, I would move to that state. But frankly, there is no state to move to that, that has such a climate. So I'm going to stay put in my state of Maryland, which is a little bit worse than, than a place like Texas, but not that much worse. That's the bottom line here. And again, I'm, I'm going to link to my article here, but I just want to read one of the main points to me that captures the essence of the system we adopted, You know what Madison was, was aiming for. And the way he explained it, to, to me, if, if, if you want to know my favorite Federalist, is Federalist 45. You know, just what is the arrangement of the government? And he said that the federal government's powers would be few and defined. But now, again, defined means that there are a couple of very important powers that they need to exercise. Applied, quote, principally on external objects as a war, peace, negotiation, and foreign commerce. 
State powers, on the other hand, were to be, quote, numerous and indefinite, extending to all the objects which, in the ordinary course of affairs, concern the lives, liberties, and properties of the people and the internal order improvement and prosperity of the state. The operations of the federal government will be most extensive and important in times of war and danger. Those are the state governments in times of peace and security. As the former periods will probably bear a small proportion to the latter, the state governments will here enjoy another advantage over the federal government. How about it? <laughs> a republic if you can keep it. It's flipped on its head. But that's what we need to do. We need to find some sort of a movement to create laboratories in a couple of the states where we naturally have our advantage. And again, I'd say the same thing to the left, but the, I, I believe the left has already done this successfully. Blue states are blue. Red states are not red. And I think that's how you know we'll be able to have a more civil society. Otherwise, this is headed for a disaster. So that, folks, is Constitution Day. So now we turn to Soap Opera Day. Now, a lot of people have pointed out that with the allegations against Kavanaugh, you know, you obviously have the tribalism. Whenever a Democrat is accused, they immediately circle the wagons and, you know, impute the uh, motives of the accuser. Whenever a Republican is accused, it's the opposite. But what's funny is there's really actually three, a three-way tribal, tribalism. What's funny is, and again, I'm not speaking about, you know, whether he did it or not and what, you know, let's say he did and what should happen because I don't know, but here's what I do know already. On the first day that Roy Moore was accused, meaning when it was pretty similar to what we have now, it was one person who was coming after decades of the guy being in public um, life and just was inseparable from his wife. No one, love him or hate him, ever expressed that in him. Um, Later on, more people came forward, but at that point, 99.9% 99.9% of the phony conservative movement, blogosphere, whatever, they said he needs to step down. How many of them are saying that with Kavanaugh? So you have this Republican, phony, conservative, legal establishment that Kavanaugh is their golden boy, so they circle the wagons around him. Now, I'm not saying that's wrong in this case. I'm just saying they are inconsistent. As for me, I did not do that with more. So for those of you who don't remember... Let me just pull this up here. I believe it was episode 166. You could go back to where I spoke for an hour about the Roy Moore allegations, you know, maybe a week or so into them. And I made it very clear that despite the fact that I put my name on the line for him, mainly because his view, of his view of the judiciary, what he did on the state Supreme Court, and that I felt he'd shake things up, I said, my goal is not to protect Roy Moore. My goal is I just want the truth here. Clearly, it's political, but, you know, this stuff happens. I can't get myself, put myself in the shoes of a woman who is molested or raped, why they wouldn't come forward for, for 30 years. Um, that You know, it makes sense that that could happen, whether they're also being political or not. And clearly, they're seeking revenge because they're trying to influence a political outcome. It's not just personal, but doesn't mean it's not true. And I said... You know, we're going to wait in here. I spoke with him personally. And, you know, more people came about. He was very clumsy in the way he defended it. it. sounded very awkward. 
And I just said, I can't defend it. I don't know what happened. I still hope it's not true. But I did not engage in the tribalism. And, you know, I pointed out at the time it's mutually exclusive because either you're condemning a man or you're um, covering for something really bad. So given that I don't know, I don't know. I can give an opinion when the left attacks our policy, I'll immediately circle the wagon because I believe our policy is right. But if they say one of our guys did such and such to a woman, well, I don't know. I mean, it flies in the face of everything we know about him. But, you know, certainly when it comes to this evil inclination, almost more than anything, it, it seems to rope in so many people, which is why many of us believe in having certain standard safeguards. Because, you know, that just that type of stuff lurks in human psychology, particularly particularly in men. The left makes fun out of it, but now, you know, none of them are praising people like Mike Pence. It would be nice if they would do that. So that's just the first observation here. Every single thumbsucker, and you know what I'm talking about. They're all circling the wagons. They're literally quoting defenses of him that were the same things others were saying about Roy Moore, but they didn't want to accept that. And again, I'm talking about even before there were multiple people. They already did that. None of them waited a minute. So, you know, there's that. Now, based on what we know now, like, look, what am I supposed to say? A guy, someone comes after 35 years, it's very vague. She doesn't remember the details, but just that he tried to force his way on her when he was 17 on a bed somewhere. This is the type of thing, if you actually had her in a room and, and cross-examined, you'd get more out of it. Well, then how did it end? Well, she said a bunch of people jumped on him, what they were playing, they were like, what were they doing? I mean, you'd be able to get more of the who, what, where to just see if, if there's truth to it. Based on what we know, I don't know, but I can't say there isn't more because often they will come out with more. So whether they ultimately have an Anita Hill, Clarence Thomas 2.0 where they come together and start um, you know, investigating it, then, then fine. I mean, I, I just have no view on that. I'll be honest with you, and, and, and I don't – I'm not saying this is part of the human element, and I don't want to make light of the human element. But politically, I am kind of laughing at this because – it, it ties into what we said on Friday. Republicans are dying on the on on stupid hills. In other words, we were told, and again, uh, I'm trying to tell you things that I feel we could say without speculating and without prejudging something when we know more information is going to come out. So it's not worth commenting on everything. But this we know for sure already. Let, let's say for a minute this is completely bogus. Completely trumped up. But we always knew that Republicans could nominate an Anthony Kennedy. They could nominate a Susan Collins, and the left will burn them down with everything they have. Right? Republicans will never do this to Democrats, this type of thing. They they will do this every time. And we already know it's whether it's true or not, and it could also be true, but it definitely we know it's political. I mean Diane Feinstein was sitting on this until through July, and you know if you really cared about it, you would bring it forward. That that is you know all the Republican apologists are making that point, and that is a valid point no matter what. So I mean it's clearly political. The question is well if it's political, but it's also true he attempted to rape someone. You know, do we want a guy like that? And generally speaking, you know if that's face value, what happened? I mean the answer is no. 
Um, and I would say that even if it's my dream Supreme Court pick, like I said, with with Roy Moore, who I endorsed. I'm, I, I am clearly consistent on this issue. But the point is, we're told, no, we can't nominate Amy Barrett. And she can't get confirmed. Aren't you guys laughing now? So you got a guy that basically is never going to overturn Roe. He's not going to overturn Obergefell. He's horrible on immigration, what he said, that there's rights for illegals to come here. He absolutely said that. But you don't understand. He appointed more women clerks than anyone. I mean, that, that was like the big selling point. And here they are saying, you tried to rape a woman. You can't run from a barking dog. So you just may as well nominate your best person. Same thing with policies. You just may as well stand on your morally clear thing. Now, I had this debate with even some of my in-house colleagues here at CR, you know, um, talking about Trump and others and the elections. They're like, look, whoever's the president, whoever's the Supreme Court pick, the Democrats are going to burn you down. So you can't blame it on anyone. And I said, that's true, but... It makes you're looking at it from the Democrat standpoint. That well, what what, what are the Democrats going to do? I know what they're going to do. They're the Democrats will always floor the gas pedal. They will turn the modulator up as far as it goes without breaking it. Maybe sometimes they will break it. They'll leave nothing on the table. We know they're going to do that. But the question is, who do we put out, and what narrative? What are we going to do? I'm not saying that if we had Daniel's independent conservative blueprint for politics, that suddenly the media will be like, wow, that's that's amazing. We're just going to tone it down. They're going to fight it just as hard. But, they're, but it's going to be fought on our terms. Is the point of tackling going to be where the quarterback is behind the line of scrimmage, sitting on the ball and playing with himself? Or is it going to be making running plays and passing plays? Now, if you make a run or a pass... You could gain yards. You could eventually score a field goal. You could eventually score a touchdown. You could eventually have to punt. Sometimes you could even throw an interception or force up a fumble. But I'll tell you this much. You sit where you are, holding the ball out and doing nothing with it, you will be sacked and the ball will be stripped and they'll get the ball and they will score the points. That's for sure. So I said at the time, it's not that they're not going to fight Amy Harder, but and it's not that their wacko base is going to be as visceral as they'd be with any pick, but in terms of your suburban women voters, I would rather have a more conservative pick in better packaging. A, she's a woman. Now that's unfair, but if you're again, you know these guys are all about packaging, so I'm just saying she was very soft spoken. It would they would have looked like fools for going after her, and certainly you couldn't have this type of stuff. And look where we are. They wanted to nominate a golden boy because they thought, you know, he's well within the legal mainstream. And look what happens. So go eat it, Republicans. I don't care. Now, I'm not necessarily saying they should retreat because I'm a little bit biased here because that would be kind of indicating he's guilty. I'm not trying to say he is. I mean, I want him, his name to be pulled because I want a better nominee. I've, I've always wanted one. So I'm just very transparent about it. I'm just saying some of you are concerned. I know, I know you might say, well, Daniel, I agree with you. I would have rather had someone else. Um, but you know, now that you have him, this is terrible if you set this precedent of you know, just 
giving in based on anyone could just give a 35-year allegation. Well, I mean, I would imagine it, they're not going to scuttle unless more, you know, she sits down and gives – we've got to have a statement of narrative that kind of adds up um, and makes sense. So you see what he's saying and then you kind of get a picture. But what I am saying is that this would be – of all retreats, this is actually a better retreat because a retreat usually is Republicans nominate a h- hardcore guy. Democrats throw everything out at them like Bork, and then they nominate a Kennedy. Here I would do the opposite. All right, Dems, you're right. Here we go. Here's Amy Barrett. Here's Mike Lee. Here's Judge Ho from Fifth Circuit would be a great choice. They'd go nuts with that, by the way, because he's um he has you know his Asian heritage, so he's got the identity too, and he's like he's as hardcore as they come. Um, so so to me, that's not retreating. If you would do it like that. Now, you could make the case if Republicans wind up withdrawing him, knowing what they are, they'll nominate a, a puke. But, you know, that's their problem. Then there's the other issue here, too, which I just want to speak culturally a little bit here. What's starting to bother me about the left on this, and I know it's bothering a lot of you that are very moral. You don't defend things like this. You certainly wouldn't defend a rapist. We're the ones who, frankly, want to give the death penalty to rapists in some cases and certainly you know, not let them out of prison, and the left is forever being weak on that. But you know, there's a broader problem here how the left has degraded the culture and sexualized everything to such a point where we have major problems between the sexes. We have major issues, sexual issues in this country. It's been that way for a while, but it's certainly worse now. And yet, somehow the only time to get super religious is when it comes to politics. Oh, this is horrible. Your guy did this. Really? I mean, if this is now the standard that we're really going to come from 35 years and, you know, when someone's in high school, I'm okay with that. Certainly where I come from. You know me, I'm a Leviticus guy. But then... Let's actually, okay, could we shake hands on it, left, and all your Hollywood donors and everything literally filming scenes of sex, 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 sex all day or just violent rape scenes and things that really have have influenced the culture on this. Could we have a discussion about this as well? Not just when it comes to, like, Senate seats and Supreme Court picks, like the actual health of and safety of women – and just the health of relationships and the culture. Let's have this discussion. Because what bothers me about this story, if if assuming it is somewhat within the ballpark of ha- happening, and we don't know it did, but that the two of them were at some sort of party and they all got drunk, and then some sort of interaction happened, but the details are going to matter a lot. Here's the deal. So freeze frame right there. Again, I know I'm a little old-fashioned here, but where I come from, we don't, you know, I just wouldn't be doing that. We don't have mixing of the sexes to the point that you'll have high school boys and high school girls getting drunk together at a party with, you know, boys in, in, you know, bathing suits drunk and girls in bathing suits. We're just, I mean, like, that's a problem. Now, that certainly doesn't, necessarily lead to and give license to just grabbing a girl and and just forcing yourself on her and don't 
ever think of as saying that. But that, that that's is part of a broader culture that I think, you know, it would be nice if, if we're going to have a discussion about this to have it fully and more comprehensively on, on the general problems. Now, you know, especially when the memories are so unclear. I don't know. Was she drunk herself? I don't remember if she admitted to that or was she, was she not? Meaning you could easily have some sort of situation where, you know, there's kind of a blurry line. Now, rape is obviously the classic case. You have a woman walking in a dark street and a random guy, you know, hides behind something and grabs her and harms her, whether he kills her or doesn't kill her, but certainly rapes her. And so that's, you know, th th there's that's very clear what that is. And it's very clear, like, you know, I think we should castrate the guy. I mean, so don't, don't accuse me of sounding weak or feeling weak about this issue. And I would say that even if someone did that when they're 16 or 17 as well, I'm not going weak on that. And that could be, if this is true, if some sort of um, interaction happened, it, she's kind of insinuating, but then some of the details sound a little funny, just just literally like in a violent way, like grabbed her and was literally going to rape her and choke her if if unless someone got him off or something. You know, I'm not going to defend that. But you do realize in the context of knowing each other, being in school, partying together, getting drunk together, if if, if the details are even off a little bit, it does make it very different. Um you know, on the other end of the spectrum, you have where the girls are just as much a part of that culture and, you know, rubbing themselves provocatively on the guy, too, and coming up to him. And then, you know, it comes to the point, well, then he responds. And then, you know, at what point is is he going too far? Um, now, again, I, I understand there's bright red lines and you know, what she's describing would be one. But again, I'm saying we don't know that. And given all the details, you could have a case where it's even close. So then, then the question becomes, okay, now you're in high school, you live presumably an honorable life your entire adult life, and you didn't, I'm not saying this is happening, I'm just saying hypothetical, you didn't quite attempt to rape her, but maybe you got a little bit too much whatever. But, you know, again, to me, this is all immoral. I don't, I don't do that, but we, you know, didn't do that when I wasn't married. Um, uh, but you know, we, we just do that kind of the old fashioned courtships. And if you're not doing that to get married, you don't, you know, interact in that way with the opposite gender. And, and I'm just, that's just me. I, you know, call it old fashioned, whatever. Um, it's just pursuant to my religious beliefs. Um, others act differently, but you know, I think either way we could all agree this, super mixing of the sexes has gotten too too much. And and this is a big problem. You're seeing the military. I mean, you know, I, I forgot to talk about this, but recently the vice commandant of the Marines was bragging how five out of seven Marine officers who were dismissed this year were due to, like, sexual stuff. There's something wrong if that's happening. You know, you know what I mean? Like, at some point, like, I'm like, okay, someone rapes someone and attempts to rape, hang the guy. Okay, but but if you're going to have all this, then, then you have to start asking a question, well, What's going on culturally between both genders and just all of us together that we're doing to foster scenarios where young people with raging hormones are just put in the worst of circumstances where they party together and are just like, you know, th there's got to be some like, say, you know, lady space, you know, and and that's the thing. Um, 
you know, where my conception comes from is that a lady acts like a lady and a man acts like a gentleman. And the lady acts in a regal way and the male would certainly never even think of violating her space in any way. And that's obvious. But, you know, it, when you have a culture where they're all just kind of acting inappropriately together, don't be surprised when stuff happens. Now, again, just because you're doing that, if someone, you know, goes and literally just takes a woman, grabs her, brings her upstairs or whatever, you know, yeah, I mean, that's you file criminal charges. That That, that is a criminal case. Um, but that's why it's so important because then the question becomes, you know, let's say you didn't do attempted rape. Well, I'm just – Again, hypothetical that he acted somewhat inappropriately at a high school party and then lived an honorable life as an adult. And again, I say this as someone who's not a fan of Kavanaugh. Is this what we're going to do? Because just realize that we built a culture off of this. So if we're not going to fix it at a systemic cultural level, but just politically and mainly one side sandbag them when they're at a point of ascendancy, I mean – you're going to rope in a lot of people. I could tell you, you ain't going to find that on me. <laughs> but, you know, an awful lot of people, you know, I would venture to say certainly nowadays, a majority of people, you're going to get them on things like that. This is all not to say that it wasn't true. I'm just saying you could have a case where, you know, where you do start to have a gray area, whereas in the classic rape case I, I gave, there's no gray area. I mean, either the guy, either it was him or not. Either he was there and grabbed or he didn't. Whereas when you have these young teenagers partying and acting inappropriately together, you could have a black and white case. But I'm just saying when the details are murky, even at the time, much less 35 years you know, retroactively, the details really do matter. It's not like, okay, well, once we proved you were there, she was there, someone says you were kind of drunk and kind of acting wild, that means we got you already. Okay, we got you. Well, no, I mean, because if that's going to be the standard, then it could be, you know, it could be anyone. Um, and, you know, again, in a legal sense, there are statutes of limitations for a reason. There really are, um, you know, and I am, I am as law and order as they come. You know, I want to go through all the uncleared murders, and I think just like we have organizations going through how many people are unjustly imprisoned, imprisoned. I would like to have an organization to go through how many people are unjustly out of prison, and ways we could convict them. Um, you know, people whose murderers have gone gone off, gotten, you know. Acquitted, scot-free. But even I will tell you, I am not in favor of doing it beyond the statute of limitations and getting rid of you know such uh, such rules and, and, and regulations. I think that's something we all agree is deeply rooted in our legal tradition for very good reasons. Now, this isn't purely legal. It's more political because it's not a criminal case. It's not a court case. It's a court of public opinion case, really, that ultimately decides these things. But, you know, in this case, senators could um, obviously have pretty close to a legal type of proceeding if they wanted to and, and, and try to try to deal with this. Now, you, some of you might say, well, why, why should we give in to this? Just vote to confirm it. 
again, if nothing else would come out, I, I, w- I would say that. But, you know, I'm assuming she's going to go to them and start talking. So then, you know, it's going to take on a life of its own. So I don't know what to tell you. Republicans get themselves stuck in stupid situations. I'm not blaming them for the Democrats acting like hyenas. I'm blaming them for thinking that nominating more milquetoast people will get them around that. So at least if we're going to play identity politics, let's nominate a soft-spoken woman rather than a man whose biggest talking point is that he uh, had a lot of female clerks, that somehow that's going to inoculate you from this. I'm just saying if you're going to be into the identity stuff to inoculate yourself, so then just obviously nominate a woman and you won't have to worry about this stuff, I guess, for the most part. So, I mean, a lot of different things are true at the same time. It's disturbing the Democrat hypocrisy, but it's disturbing the Republican conservative thumb-sucking class hypocrisy, too, with Rory Moore and this. It's all about who you like. If you like the guy's politics, you're going to circle the wagons around, whereas we should all just want the truth. But at the same time, we should be leery of this pattern. And at the same time, we need to recognize that when we create a culture that encourages this at every level of the culture, are we going to only enforce, um, you know, more conservative behavior, so to speak, when it comes to the context of politics? You know, it, it just it, it's a sewer pipe, the culture. Everything is built around sexualization. Everything. It's like, that's the one thing we won't discuss. Me too. So could we have a movement to discuss this that maybe we need to have different relationships between the opposite gender than we would with a buddy? I'm not saying you can't interact and be friends, but I'm saying that there is, you know, some sort of difference. Go back to a, bygone era maybe draw upon some things they did that you recognize that there's a difference when you're with someone from the opposite gender so therefore you're not going to do everything the same you do with them as with a male buddy you know if you get together and kind of dress in a certain way and drink in a certain way it's going to be a little different when you have it mixed and you're going to have other problems with that I mean, it's kind of common sense. Again, this whole event could have never happened. I'm just speaking in general. A lot of this does happen. And um, now, you know, look, you know, if if you have a party like this and a guy just, um, whether he's drunk or not drunk and, you know, whether a girl herself was kind of acting inappropriately um, would, would, you know, grab her, take her somewhere and, you know, clearly she doesn't want to be there and is screaming for help and doesn't want to be there. And he just violently forces himself on her. So, you know, nothing about the culture is going to change the way I view things criminally that we should totally throw the book at him to the fullest extent. But what I am saying is at the same time, you know, we don't want to view our military men as a bunch of pukes, but we have a major problem. So, you know, everyone's focusing on just clamping down on men, this, and, and sensitivity training. Well, how about you stop this radical agenda to integrate 
the gender so much. Particularly in places like the military, where you have people 18, 20, 22, 24 years old, close quarters, away from their homes. Um, it's just it's just dumb. The temptation is there. We recognize it. It's through that temptation that God created the act of procreating and you know filling up the universe. Highest order of man. So it's, it, it, that temptation is, re- is very real. And like with everything holy, commensurate with its holiness, it could be used for something terrible. And it's got to be channeled in the right way. And you've got to have the proper channels to use that only for the most lovable, loving relationship with your soulmate while having some sort of process of guidelines that you it doesn't get abused outside of that. So I think I'm I'm pretty consistent. But what's ironic about the left is they're the ones that don't believe in this and would cry bloody murder against it. What are you saying? They couldn't have sex outside of marriage, you piece of garbage from throwback to the 1800s. Okay, so so then stop complaining about this, you know, epidemic of stuff coming out. Just stop it. And again, just the other aspect in a case like this, the other difference of understanding the culture is that if any of the details aren't exactly the way she said, even if there's some truth to something, some sort of interaction having happened, you know, and and I hate even talking about this and thinking about it, and God forgive me for my mind even going there. And this is what's so stupid about this, which is why I, I was going to get to the opioid stuff today. The Senate's voting on a stupid opioid package, um, and I'm going to have an article out on it. But just to close the loop on this, because you know everyone's talking about this, and obviously, unlike other things which aren't important, I mean, this will influence whether you know he's on the Supreme Court or not. It just when you understand what goes on when everyone's acting inappropriate. And I'm just, again, I'm just saying, let's say, let's say this happened. Let's say a girl, you know, starts kind of doing things that, that are, you know, inappropriate. And, you know, let's say she's almost kind of taking her clothes off in front of the guy and the guy's drunk too. And he, he comes over and then he starts touching her and whatever. And then at some point she says, stop, stop, stop. You know, <laughs> it's all the degree of her, you know, how visceral it is what, that she's rejecting and how aggressive he's asserting. You know what I mean? At some point, there is somewhat of a middle ground there where, you know, a guy is a lifelong predator, that there's something wrong with him versus he's just a product of our culture as a high school kid that certainly should have never done that. But how far did he go over the circumstances? That's where it, it, it kind of matters. It wouldn't matter at the time because like the father, the police in that case should give that kid some tough love. So he learns to write, write his ship, but to come 35 years later, let your mind 
run wild, there's there's a lot of permutations there that the details will matter. Because I'm just telling you, hey, you want to follow that standard, I'm I'm fine with it. I'll play that game with you. I have nothing in my childhood that that will disqualify me with, you know, women, drugs, sex, alcohol, DUI, you name it. I'm not going to have that. You know, I had a pretty boring uh, childhood. But just keep in mind, try try finding people. And and again, if if that's going to be the standard on the right, I, I, I understand why our people are like, you know, because then, you know, there's some of, some of you listeners are like, what the heck? You know, our side is all of a sudden okay with things like this. But again, I, I understand all sides here. I understand why our side is sick of the other side always getting away with murder. And then every last thing from 35 years ago gets drudged up on our guys and they successfully sink the guy. So it's a balance. Anyway, you know, until and unless there's more on this itself, I have no interest in talking about it. Just, just to close for today. In honor of Constitution Day, I want to get back to the power of the purse. My Friday article on the degree of perfidy from this Republican Congress. That we're fighting over all this. And, you know, the irony of today is I was hoping we'd have a week where I'd have some avenue to make this a fight about the budget and immigration, everything about them. The entire election will hinge on it. Of course, this is going <laughs> to, forget it. This is just going to overshadow all that. We don't have a chance. But I do got to give credit where it's due. Drudge did put up my article. Not that he has the same power he has before. Um, for a while, he, just, he was never linking to my articles. I thought he was done with me, but I guess he's not. Now, I would argue he's a little bit part responsible for why Republicans are in the situation now where they're set to lose, but he had no problem putting putting up my article, have Republicans already given control over to the Democrats. You know, our founders would be dumbfounded by the fact that fear of the government operation itself would serve almost as its own check on certain actions. And they figured that a budget bill, appropriations, would control everything. That would be, you know, whoever had control over that would really wield a lot of power. They never envisioned that the size of government would grow so large that there would be such a maniacal fear of reaching an impasse between different sides over a certain policy and therefore having a funding lapse in itself would create such a big deal. But here we are. And nobody is talking about it. Nobody is talking about what Republicans are doing on the budget. Just amazes me. Amazes me that that we're here today. Um, So we're going to have more on that. Also, look for my opioid article. It is amazing. Tonight, they are passing a bill funding addiction treatments, giving money to pharmaceutical companies to come up with anti-addiction formulas for their drugs, uh, all sorts of stuff, funding more Medicaid funding, all sorts of nanny state garbage when this has nothing to do with addiction. I'm going to have a chart out in my article that has the great crisscross. It shows the prescriptions plummeting and the deaths skyrocketing. (laughs) The exact opposite. There's nothing to do with prescriptions. It's all illicit drugs, 
More people died, by the way, in D.C. from this K2 spice with the rat poison mixed in. It's national security. It's kids seeking a buzz, part of the same culture of the sexing up of teenagers. It's with the drugging up of teenagers. Most of them don't have physical, physiological issues. Um, it's more emotional problems that they have. And, you know, you're not going to treat that. And the supply all comes from the drug traffickers, the drug cartels, sanctuary cities. You're not going to treat that by going after older, chronic, you know, stable chronic pain patients and just cutting off their pain medication so abruptly. So I have some good facts and figures in that. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit more tomorrow, um, later in the week after the holiday. But yeah, I mean, we are, man, we're, we're on a complete lockdown this week. This week is going to be the zero common, lowest common denominator of politics. And I challenge those of you who listen on the left to meet meet me halfway on this. Who is willing to take all these events and say, look, all of this is not working for us. We need to move more towards what our founders envisioned with the original adoption of the Constitution that – you know, more of these internal fights should really be um, local control, and that's it. That's it. That's what we need. We need a meeting of the minds. We need people that are intellectually honest. But the problem with the left is, and look, I I want to try to be more or, or less partisan, but I, it truly is hard to find people on the left that don't want to dominate everyone. Like I, I believe in my views, but, and you know, I believe in them pretty strongly, but I don't want to shove them on every last person. I just want some sort of vestige, a last refuge of our country um, where we could operate more in line with the way our, our founding economic system, Liberty system, and, you know, obviously values. By the way, th this is a whole other conversation itself, kind of a deep discussion. I, I don't have time to get into, but I do believe, to me, I'm going to shock you with this. I am not a big fan of the Bill of Rights. What the? You're not a fan of the Bill of Rights? What do you mean? No, of course I'm a fan of the um, words expressed in those amendments. I'm a fan of the government they adopted on September 17, 1787, and Madison's view that we didn't need this Bill of Rights. What I'm bothered by is the fact that Madison was worried. It, it, now, now, look, he was a loyal foot soldier. They agreed to pass his blueprint, so he had to agree to their, you know, um, or, you know, uh, all all the people like George Mason were thrown at him at the Virginia Ratifying Convention. We need a Bill of Rights, so he gave it to them, and he himself introduced it in the House. And, and that was nonetheless needed. But I do think that that opened, that paved the road to create, once you start saying, oh, rights come from government. And that's what paved the road to create all sorts of BS rights. And then we haven't even preserved the ones that unambiguously say shall not be infringed. Because to, to Madison, it was clear that no, rights are rights. Here's what government can do. Anything not in it, they can't do. And you already had it on the in the state 
constitutions. We don't need it, a federal one. He was right about that. I strongly believe he was right about that. It created so much confusion. Now, what is a right? By actually writing it down, it made it worse. So, you know, I'm actually a big fan of Constitution Day without the Bill of Rights. Without the Bill of Rights. Um, Madison, Madison was right. I'm, I'm just telling you. Others, others at the time. Uh, now, obviously, you know, look, the anti-federalists didn't know where this was headed. Like, hey, what are you guys doing? Um, put it in writing. I understand it. I'm just saying, if you actually understood the system that was written down in the Constitution, it made sense not to have a Bill of Rights. So there's that, and maybe, maybe that's something that at some point that will. Uh, We'll speak to at a later date. Just want to close with uh, George Washington's transmission to the con- of the Constitution to the uh, federal um, to the con- Continental Congress in New York. They met in Philadelphia. When they adopted it, they signed it. He wrote a letter of transmission, and he said the following: "We have now the honor to submit to the consideration of the United States in Congress assembled that Constitution which has appeared to us the most advisable." The friends of our country have long seen and desired that the power of making war, peace, and treaties, that of levying money and regulating commerce, and the correspondent executive and judicial authorities should be fully and effectually vested in the general government of the Union. But the impropriety of delegating such extensive trust to one body of men is evident, hence results the necessity of a different organization. It is obviously impracticable in the federal government of these states to secure all rights of independent sovereignty to each and yet provide for the interest and safety of all individuals entering into society must give up a share of liberty to preserve the rest. The magnitude of the sacrifice must depend as well on on situation and circumstance as on the object to be obtained. It is at all times difficult to draw with precision the line between those rights which must be surrendered and those which may be reserved And on the present occasion, this difficulty was increased by a difference among the several states as their situation, extent, habits, and particular interests. In all our deliberations on this subject, we kept steadily in our view that which appears to us the greatest interest of every true American, the consolidation of our union in which is involved our prosperity, felicity, safety, and perhaps our national existence. The important consideration seriously and deeply impressed on our minds let each state in the convention to be less rigid on points of inferior magnitude than might have been otherwise expected. And thus the Constitution, which we now present, is the result of a spirit of amity and of that mutual deference and concession with the peculiarity of our political situation rendered indispensable. That it will meet the full and entire approbation of every state is not perhaps to be expected, but each will doubtless consider that had her interests been alone consulted, the consequences might have been particularly disagreeable or injurious to others, that it is liable to as few exceptions as could reasonably have been expected. We hope and believe that it may promote the lasting welfare of that country so dear to us all and secure her freedom and happiness in our most ardent wish. With great respect, we have the honor to be, sir, 
Your Excellency's most obedient and humble servants, George Washington, President, by, unanim- by unanimous order of convention. Folks, that's, that's the greatest man of the founding. You know, his steady hand at the convention was really what inspired it. Couldn't have been done without him. Everyone agrees that to, to that point. And, and the two points you see is, number one, you see it was really, again, the entire purpose was peace, prosperity, external affairs. It wasn't to get involved in all the things the federal government's involved today. And number two, you see this point that they understood that it wasn't perfect, but as George, as Benjamin Franklin said, it actually might be perfect in, in the realms of what could have been achieved, given that you can't achieve perfect with so many different factions. And I think that's anyone with a shred of honesty. I'm speaking not as a conservative. I'm speaking as an American. I'm speaking not just to conservatives, but to everyone. This is what we need at this point. We need people to get in a room and start having these conversations that what we're doing now is not working. We need, and I'm not saying we need to even amend the Constitution, but in terms of dealing with our current political crises, we need people to get in a room and actually share some of the advice of George Washington. God bless you all. Thanks for listening. Till next time, this has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience.